Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Download. Our aim is to reveal from Scripture just how good God really is. Find more of our sermons and other links as well as contact details at our website www.highway.org.za That's H-I-G-H-W-A-Y dot org dot Z-A May this sermon bless you. Enjoy. Positions for leading us. Thanks to everyone who comes in and serves, makes things prepared for our morning worship time. And then, yes, Monday nights are establishing in the, the truths of the gospel um, have been going well. If you can't make a Monday night, they do get transferred to the life groups. But if you're not in a life group, then Monday night is a good time to come as we massage this culture in. You know, it takes time to change a culture in a church. And grace is the most wonderful message that has ever come to this planet. And we can never add or take away from that finished work of the new covenant. But when we learn as an army how to pass that on, intentionally, we will be an unstoppable force for the glory of God on earth. If we sit on our knowledge, we will become like the Dead Sea. It will not be long before the army camp begins fighting itself in the absence of a military strategy. All dressed up and no place to go is not a healthy place to be. But when we change a culture in us that sees the Great Commission as our first priority, his last word, our first priority, it will change the face of the church forever. Lord, we just thank you today for this beautiful month where we are percolating in the name of Jesus, where we are saturating under this wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that every thought will be brought into captivity, into obedience to the knowledge of Jesus, that we will leave, Lord, challenged in our love with you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I want to continue in this month to look on the topic, Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom. These baptisms we saw earlier was like the engagement party of a great celebration that's going to happen in eternity. And this idea that God had for Jesus, it was his purpose before the creation, eternally past, it was always God's purpose to present his son with a bride. That was the father's intent. You see, the Trinity coexisted in total self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction, self-determined From eternity past, they were never lonely. They didn't need you and me to come and cheer them up. They were totally fulfilled. But at some stage, God the Father said, I am going to give my son a bride. And his bride 
As the Bible says, for this reason, a man shall leave and go and God sent his son and he shall be united and they shall become one. And in the same way, the Bible says, whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. We become joined and fused with Christ so that for eternity, we are his bride, his body, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, intimate with him. One flesh. God had this purpose when he spoke out in the beginning, God created. In other words, the very galaxy in the universe, the galaxies, the billions and billions of galaxies with their billions and billions of stars was to produce an extravagant, absolutely over-the-top view of God's planet Earth. And on this planet that's perfectly positioned, perfectly placed, he started building his community. And that community was going to be made up of of Eden-like families populating the, the globe in worship, walking in communion, trusting. God would have in the cool of the day spoke to his prototype, Adam, and said, there's a vision that extends this garden. It extends to the ends of the earth. In fact, with a mind that it can function at a 100% capacity and a body that never gets sick or tired or has the fear of death that can just replace a lost member immediately. Man was unstoppable to populate the planet. And within a short time, we would have lived in cities whose technologies and sophistication would have far gone beyond what science fiction could ever portray in a short period of time. God had a vision of a planet populated by God worshippers. That was his intention. But man wanted to form his own world. He wanted to be the one to decide his fate and question. And we refer to that as when spiritual death came in because God promised the soul that sins shall die. It was a cosmic law that God kept because he's holy and true and was a law of the universe. But God's plan, his purpose to create a bride for his son would prevail in spite of man's failure. And we see that in Exodus, it won't come up, but in Exodus 19, 5 to 6, God promises to make Israel a kingdom of priests who would serve as a light for the rest of the Gentile nations. And that was Israel's mandate through the covenant he made in the garden to cover Adam with a prototype of the gospel, through his covenant with Abraham, who was a covenant partner, who was willing to exchange his son, to sacrifice his son, through the Mosaic covenant, right through all the covenants that were pointing towards Jesus, God never gave up on his purpose and plan to have a bride for his son, of every nation, every people, and every generation. God's plan was never thwarted, never came to an end. Israel messed it up a little bit because they thought it was all about them and for them. And even the word Pharisee means separated one. They began to interpret God's covenants as 
based on their performance and law keeping that would make them righteous. But God's intent was always to show them grace. But they demanded that they could keep God's law perfect. And God gave them a law that pointed to his holiness and pointed to their futility, their weakness. Now, I know you, my friends, would have been called Gentiles. But in order to be proselytized into Jehovah covenant, you would have had to become Jewish. And the Jews were a nation of priests that forgot that their role was to proselytize the world and to bring the gospel, which was concealed in the old covenant, but only revealed after Jesus came. And you would have heard a message because we believe in the whole Bible. We never got to a point where we said, oh, now we Christians, we tear the old covenant out. Now, when we preach the gospel to the world, we preach a God that is holy, a God that will judge and punish sin, a God who is righteous and man is lost eternally outside of the providence of grace. We preach a consequence for rejecting the gospel. It's the whole message. When you're sitting on an airplane and that Elstess begins showing you that there's a life jacket under your seat. It means nothing until you see you two meters above the water and the plane's wobbling. The law is preached. The law was given to Israel. But the Bible says grace came through Jesus. And still in the preaching, we mustn't think we have a watered down version that just tickles people's ears about a God who's a father Christmas in heaven. Let me tell you, the wages of sin is still death. But the gift of God through Jesus Christ is life. And the Jews as a nation had forgotten their apostolic mandate. And God promised that he would still fulfill his purposes to all nations. But they were locked in a law system. In the same way that the early church that was birthed at Pentecost had its roots in the Judaism faith because there is only one gospel. It started in Genesis and it ends in Revelations. And in that one gospel, the truth is proclaimed. And the early believers heard this message, as many believers here today, and unfortunately They can begin mixing and misunderstanding the covenants. And that's why Paul writes the way he does to set the Gentile believers free from the Mosaic law. That the Ten Commandments are still holy and true. And they still stand. But they don't make you holy and true. Because that came through the justification that Jesus purchased at the cross. Did you enjoy last weekend? About justification, Monday night, as Jeff shared about the, 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 the priest inspecting the lamb and not the sacrificer. You see, that's what Jesus did at the cross. But Paul writes about this one time. Very, very important passage of scripture in Romans 7. He says, for example, by law, a married woman is Bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So that if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she may marry another man. 
So then, now this is the point he's trying to make from that illustration. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. Paul's writing in Romans, as he does so, so many other places, where he's differentiating between those that were, in, they were still spiritually dead, but law had come to try and wake them up. But even if the law wakes you up, if you're dead, you're still dead. And this was also true of Gentile believers who came in to the full gospel and heard about God's work through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, Moses and the prophets, and John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. They had heard that message, but many of them had got trapped in that place of still being married to the law. And my friend, when you're married to the law, it's a very hard taskmaster. The law is good and holy, but its demands are brutal. And it will tell you, as your husband, exactly what temperature the water has to be boiled at when the eggs are boiled and what the temperature of the eggs must be when it comes out. Not because there's anything wrong about that, but it doesn't move one inch to help you do that. And when you fail at that as a new bride and fail again and fail again, at some point you feel disqualified. And Paul is saying, that's what it was like. You were married to the law and you couldn't get out of that relationship even though you met Mr. Grace who was loving and kind and he still had the same standard, but he was there in the kitchen in the morning beside you, showing you how to do it. And then you do it, and he watches you. And when you made a mistake, he jumped in and saved you, and eventually you could do it on your own, because you could bear fruit for God. But you can't get married out of one covenant into the other without a death. And Paul says in the same way, you died. Something happened. There was a death. That came. We celebrated it in the baptisms this morning. There was a death that came. When you put your faith in Jesus, my friend, you were identified with his death and his burial and his resurrection. And that was the only way you could come out of an inferior relationship where God was distant and you were always disqualified and condemned and guilty and feeling shame into a place where you are set free to live and serve the living God. Amen. Yes, let's give him a thanks because that's the best news. Unfortunately, we come into a new marriage with baggage sometimes. That's why second marriages are difficult. Not impossible, but difficult because of the baggage that people bring and surfaces. And even in our Christianity, we still have to deal with baggage from the past. Can you say amen? Thirdly, God's ultimate purpose was to present his son with a bride for eternity. Read with me in Revelations chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He carries on down to verse 9. One of the seven angels came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. My friend, this is a glorious picture of a glorious church. The bride of Christ, spotless and Holy and righteous before God. God's eternal purpose was to present his son with his bride. His purposes weren't thwarted by man's failure to keep it. But he kept it himself. And we were married to Christ. Like an early uh, engagement that's going to be celebrated for eternity. In billions and billions of years time, we'll look back on the time that earth existed in its current form with people as a blip in eternity. Do you hear what I said? So you say, that's great, Steve. So we know eternally past God had a plan. We know he has a future eternal plan. And he kind of fixed things along the way. But what does that mean for me? I'm so glad you asked the question. I want to share quickly in these last few minutes I got. I wrote this because I might forget it. I want to share a few things about this new marriage to our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Can I do that this morning? Can you open your heart and receive some things about the heavenly bridegroom? You see, a well-known scripture in Ephesians 5 is used at weddings and is used about husbands and wives. But in the context of that scripture, Paul says, that wasn't actually my main point. But hey, knock yourself out if you want to use it like that. My main point is something else. No, wrong verse. I'm going to have to go past that. I beg your pardon. It's, uh, yeah, in verse 32, this is the main point of Ephesians 5. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love your wife and love as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. You get that. So Paul is saying, actually the main thing, what I'm saying here is I'm trying to talk about Jesus and his church. So can you put on Jesus as your bridegroom glasses this morning? And we're going to read a familiar passage. And I don't want the wives throwing things at me when I talk about wives submit to your husbands as the church because his main point was a church. Nothing wrong with submitting. In fact, the verse before that, Paul says, submit to one another. In the same way, it's not just the husband loving the wife. Love one another. So submitting and loving is not uniquely practiced one way, but in an institution for there to be order in certain circumstances, husband, uh, the best way to get through to your wife is just love her more. Wife, the way you can make this thing work is get behind and support your husband in this decision. That is a parenthesis. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. But it's too, but we, 
want to put on Jesus' glasses this morning. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through the word, to present himself a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds. What does Jesus do? He feeds. Say he feeds and he cares for it. Again, his main point, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then he gives that scripture, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Say, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. All right, let me give you a few things that you can expect from your heavenly bridegroom. Are you ready? Number one. There's his part and our part. Very quickly, his part, everything. Our part, I do. When we are proposed to, we say, I do. I do is a pledge of trust and faith. It's saying, I trust you. I do. Jesus' mother said to those filling up the vessels with water to turn in, to wine, whatever he tells you to do, I do. It's just obedience. It's saying, it's faithfulness. It's saying, I trust Jesus. That's my part. I just trust him, which is my obedience. He says, don't hit your head, your, your neighbor over the head with a golf club. I say, I do. He says, don't go through a red robot at the peak traffic time. I say, I do. I am putting faith in his word. I'm trusting him. That's what obedience is. Trusting his word to me. Amen. Someone said to me recently, if, if the church asks you to do something and God asks you to do something, always do what the church asks you to do. Because God's a lot more forgiving. <laughs> Joke. With God, we say, I do. Secondly, he loves us unconditionally. This is what you can expect. You see, our love, by contrast, is fickle. On the wedding day, it's all blah de blah And a little bit later, it's like she's walking away going, I'm leaving on a jet plane. Hope to be back. And the husband's going, oh, oh, baby, please don't go. Oh, baby, please don't go. And she turns around and says, well, that'll be the day. I mean, we know human marriage is conditional. Jesus' love 
is unconditional. It matters absolutely not what we do or could do or ever do. It will never change his love for you, my friend. If you don't believe that, you've got to get your mind renewed. There's nothing. But he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you as you are. He loves you exactly like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. And he wants you to avoid some destruction in your life. And he says, go this way. But his love is never changing. He gives us a new name. What happens in marriage? There's a covenant. Bible says in Antioch they were called Christians. Jesus put his name in our name. We have his authority in his name. He forgives completely. Say completely. He forgives completely. When he said in the new covenant, I will remember their sins no more. Unlike people, and even in marriages, we also forgive completely until the next argument. Jesus says, I have forgotten you so deeply that I don't even remember. That's what justification means. God has chosen to raise it from the computer banks of heaven. He came to seek and to save us. And my good news for you this morning, my friend, is he has found you. He found you. You didn't find Jesus. He found you. And let me go one step further and say, he keeps finding us. Because we have a tendency to wonder at times. Wonder in our thoughts, uh, our philosophies, our lifestyle, our comfort, our disappointments, our sorrow. We have a tendency to wonder, but we have got a shepherd. You have got a shepherd. You have got a shepherd. I've got a shepherd who seeks and saves. That's what you can expect from this husband. He looks at us as if we were the only Eve on earth. Imagine if you, my friend, with a the grayish hair there with the glasses, I forget your name, were the only person when you heard the gospel that put faith in Jesus. Everyone else in creation rejected it. Jesus would have still gone through exactly 30 years of preparation and three years of ministry, the cross, the death, burial, and erection for you to be his bride. And at the great marriage feast of Revelations 21, you would be his bride. I say that knowing there's more than just you, so you can relax. There, there are countless from all ages, but you have got to live with the realization that it was for you, that you are the bride of Christ. Come on, maybe your ears need to hear that. I am the bride of Christ. Yes, it's corporate, but there's also we forget the, 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 the individualness of it. That he has got eyes for you. I'm sure there's a song in there. Mark, you want to come sing it? <laughs> Number seven, he undertakes to care for us, to protect us, and ultimately is preparing 
a place for us. That's what you can expect from your husband. The bridegroom. The eternal bridegroom. I know us men, we do our best. And we try hard. And sometimes we fail. And there's times where the wife carries the can for a bit. And that's not a sin. Other times, both carry the can. Sometimes you battle to find the can. Or like Andrew Wormick says, you, you just get all you can, you put it in a can, and then you sit on the can. But husbands do their best. But there's times we go through hardships and difficulties. That's when we need to know who our ultimate provider is. I went through a four-year degree living by faith. While my wife had a good job. And I know what it's like to phone the office. Because I got home early in the afternoon from lectures. And I'd start making a meal and tidying up. So when Janet got home, she didn't have to worry about that side of things. And I'd phone the office just to double check with something. And I'd hear in the background, Janet, it's Mrs. Wheeler for you. And all of man's pride gets crushed. No, it doesn't have to. We co-equals in the kingdom. But our trust is in him. We never lived better in those days. We, through her company, we had two paid for overseas trips. We bought our first home. We bought two cars cash. She was so blessed in her job. She was the top rep in the country two years running. That's why we got all those incentives. They were horrified when they heard she was going to go and become a pastor. Not a pastor's wife. Not even a pastor. The, 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 the husband was going to be the pastor and she was going to just be a pastor's wife. I'm glad we've changed that. Pastor Steve, Pastor Janet. Co-equal pastors. And she says she'll pastor it back to me. But our trust is in Jesus. Come on. He's the bridegroom. What can we expect from him? As I start wrapping it up. Number eight. Is a number eight? Of this I'm sure. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because the Bible. Ah, there we go. He believes the best about you. Isn't that good to know? Bridegroom has only good thoughts about you. He thinks the best about you in every situation. Can you imagine what a marriage would look like if each partner only believed the best about their partner? Well, I haven't come across a marriage like that. But I know there's a bridegroom who is like that. And my confidence is in him. Amen? And we should see the best in each other. I'm not downplaying that. I'm saying I don't know anyone who's done that perfectly. In fact, Jesus so much only sees the best in you that even when you think you've done your worst, he's already started working a system to turn all things together for good because he knows where your heart is. Come on. Come on. When you've done your worst, 
when you think you've messed up. He's saying, okay, let me, I'm already found a way to turn this around because I've always believed the best of you, of you, of you, of you. He believes the best of you. Number nine. It says that for a, a good marriage, it's a 50 50. In other words, I give 50, you give 50, that means we've got a hundred percent. But actually we know that it's not 50, it's you give a hundred as if the other person was giving nothing and they give a hundred as if you weren't giving anything. That is a healthy environment. He gave 100%, not just 50%. I remember in the one evangelism program we learned, it was like our part, I mean God's part, and then our part. So it's like God's already done his 50%, now we got to do our 50% by doing a certain things. I found out Jesus actually did 100%, and we just go, I do. I believe. And that belief is evidenced in, I trust his word. I'm faithful to his word because I believe. Come on, church. And then finally, see, I've got a minute to go here. But I'm going to take extra time for this video. I mean, praise God. Did you read it? I'll read it. He will never leave or forsake you. It's sad when marriages break down, things happen, it's not the unforgivable sin, although we fight to the bitter end to save the marriage. But stuff happens. She leaves him or he leaves her. Very sad. Our assurance is that we have a bridegroom who promised that nothing can separate us from his love. Jesus says to you, nothing will separate you from his love. In this life, even death will separate us from a loved one. With Christ, nothing will separate. And the picture of Ephesians is saying to you and me that we are loved beyond what we could ever imagine. Now it's good if we love, and we should, And Christ is committed to us 100%. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you know Jesus is the one who's going to forever be your bridegroom starting now? Well, I, I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for myself that our minds will be renewed? Let's stand up together. As we do, I want to, I want to invite if there's anybody here this morning, And you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never been born again. You saw these baptism pictures and you thought, I didn't even know that happened. What is that about? Well, my friend, it happens when you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. When you do that, he promises by his spirit to become one with you. And all you do is say, I do. So I'm going to pray, pray a prayer now. And I want you to pray this in your heart. Not to me, not to those around you, but to the heavenly bridegroom. 
just where you're standing right now, say in your heart, pray silently or pray aloud if you, Lord Jesus, you are the heavenly bridegroom. And you have invited me to be your eternal bride. You died, you were buried, and you rose again. And this morning, I put my faith that your death was my death and my sins were paid for. Your burial was my burial and your resurrection was my resurrection. I put my faith in my new husband. I'm dead to the past and I'm alive to Christ.